Hey, good morning, everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. I'm really glad that you're here and I'm glad to be here with you. Before we jump into God's word this morning, I want to share a bit of family news. A, a wonderful lady and a longtime outlooker named Barb Brewster Holtz passed away this past week. Uh, she slipped into eternity on Monday. Friday was her funeral, so this has all happened since I last saw you on Sunday. But uh, I would love it if we take a moment and uh, pray for the Rooster Holtz family uh, as we also pray to prepare our hearts to open up God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, we do lift up this uh, precious family, and we think of Barb, uh, just a wonderful lady and a longtime uh, member of our church family. And we think about how much she'll be missed by everyone who knew her and so many people who love her. And we ask God you'd give their uh, family as much just comfort from your Holy Spirit as, as possible and as they need. Um, walk with them through this season of loss and our hearts are with them uh, for sure. Lord, as we open up God's word today, speak to us. Let it be your voice that's heard and let it be your truth that's planted in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are starting a new series today called Love Your Neighbor. Right next to loving God, Jesus said the best thing we can do is love our neighbor. And through his life and his teaching, he showed us how to do that. And he highlighted, and all of the, his followers after him certainly highlighted the fact that one of the greatest things we can do for others, one of the greatest and highest ways we can love others, is to introduce them to him. But sharing our faith isn't easy for most of us. It may even freak us out a little bit. Anyone? Maybe just me. Okay. So in this series, we're going to explore how to love our neighbors well and lovingly and respectfully, all the while showing them Jesus while we do. People are spiritually hungry. How do we feel about that statement? People are open to talking about their faith or talking about faith generally. Is that easy or hard for us to believe that that's true? I think we may look around and wonder if it is true or certainly wonder what role we might even be able to play in someone else's spiritual search. We may be underestimating people's openness to God as well as our opportunity to share God. In a 2022 survey of teens and adults who state that they have no discernible faith, a majority of them feel positively about talking with a Christian friend if, when that Christian friend shared their faith or their spiritual story. Further, in such spiritual conversations, people who claim no faith say they appreciate someone who listens without judgment, is honest about their doubts, and cares about them as a person. Now this is helpful and interesting to hear. Not only are people perhaps more spiritually open to conversation than we might at first think to ourselves that they are, but they're even letting us know in this pretty vast and very recent survey what is important to them when those conversations come up. Let's look at this for a few minutes. Listens without judgment. This is more and more rare in every sector of our society. Is that true? We are not gentle with each other. 
We're, 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 we're not learning how to do that the way perhaps we used to. Respecting others enough to truly listen to them. This is becoming increasingly rare. And so how much more important would it be to bring that skill and to show that love when we're having a spiritual conversation with someone, a conversation that might be able to introduce them or get them thinking about their relationship with God, listens without judgment. When I looked at this finding, I thought immediately of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus has just asked Matthew to become his disciple. Matthew is a you know, hated tax collector, uh, hangs out with people that the religious people don't like. And this is exactly what happens after uh, that same day when Jesus asks Matthew to follow him. It says, later as Jesus was in the house, that's Matthew's house, sitting at the dinner table, a good many tax collectors and other disreputable people came on the scene and joined him and his disciples. In other words, it was a dinner party, right? The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, noticed this and said to the disciples, the people that he'd already called to follow him, why does your master have his meals with tax collectors and sinners? Now, think about this question. Religious leaders are, are walking by. Chances are good they're seeing this because the, the, it's happening in the courtyard of Matthew's house, right? So you could kind of walk down the sidewalk, but you could see the party happening inside. And the Pharisees stand there, and they want to know, and they ask this question. But the fact that that is their question tells us something that's going on in them. They saw this crowd. They saw these people, and they saw them as people to be categorically rejected. They looked inside that dinner party and said, oh, I know who you are. I know who these people are. And they labeled them. They did not listen to them. But Jesus heard what was said and replied, go and learn what the scriptures mean, which, which you got to give it to Jesus. I mean, this is a pretty salty thing to say to religious leaders who devoted their whole lives to studying the scripture, right? Go and learn what the scriptures mean when they say, and then he quotes an Old Testament prophet, instead of offering sacrifices to me, I want you to be merciful to others. He says, you missed something. It's kind of big. Go back and do your homework. See, you think it's about keeping the law. That is your thing, religious leaders. And sometimes it might be our thing as Christians too, when it's really about sharing the love. See, they had judged. Talk about listening without judgment. They had judged so fiercely, so immediately, so instinctively that they didn't even bother to see and sit and listen. But there's Jesus. He's sitting and eating. And you have to imagine listening at those dinner tables. See, when we begin to approach spiritual conversations with other people, in a posture that says, I'm not here to prove I'm right. To paraphrase 1 Corinthians 13, if I'm right on every point of doctrine and I stand correctly on every societal issue, or think I do, and have not love, mm, I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal, right? Think about that passage, 1 Corinthians 13. See, religion becomes known for counting people out. And that's what's happening right here in this very scene. The people who are supposed to be experts on God aren't behaving like God at all. 
focusing first on what's separating us in their pursuit of truth, which is a wonderful pursuit to undertake. They've now reduced truth to testing each other by rules and by knowledge, you know. How much do you know and how closely do you adhere to every, uh, every line of every rule? So much so that all the love has been drained out. That was gone a long time ago. And Jesus is reintroducing love into the picture. If we want to introduce people to God, the first step is not to label them, but to love them. Jesus was always about inviting people in. He was consistently confusing the religious leaders, and that's what we see here. So when we consider sharing our faith with others, let's be like Jesus and lead with listening and lead with love. Amen. Now, the second thing that we see in this survey is that people appreciate it when we as Christians are honest, even about our doubts. This flies in the face of maybe the more customary bluster of having all the answers, right? Again, having everything nailed down, we can become so certain as to become unrelatable, Now, don't get me wrong. I'm certain of several things. I'm certain of a rugged cross and an empty tomb. I'm certain that God is love as well as light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. I'm certain that you and me were souls stamped with a divine image. All of us are. And our greatest need is to learn how to live in to that. I'm certain that life on my own and on yours too will sooner or later bring us to a dead end and a search for more. And I've found that Jesus is the answer to all of this and the way to all of this. But there's a lot of divine mystery in all this too. There's a lot of exploring and learning and yes, doubting and then realizing and re-realizing, right? First Timothy chapter three, Paul puts it pretty Pretty succinctly, there is no denying, great is the mystery of godliness. So let's consider these first two things that we've learned here from those who claim to have no faith, but are also saying they're open to spiritual conversations. Because I think we could easily pass by just how important this is. How much people hunger to be heard and listened to without judgment and in honesty. How often do people who have no faith or who have rejected the Christian faith, at least in this season of their life, how often do they just simply hear, you're wrong, or your lifestyle choices are wrong, or I don't agree with your sexual ethics, or your patterns of thinking and behaving are counterproductive and damaging, and so I reject you. Like the Pharisees at Matthew's place, we end up categorizing someone, or a lot of someone's, as beyond redemption, or even beyond deserving our attention. We think that staying near them somehow means offering our approval or endorsement of all of their choices. Who do we think we are? No one's looking for your ratification, but they may still very much want your relationship. So if we want to be people God could use to introduce others to him, to love our neighbors in this highest of ways, we must not lose sight of this truth. And it's important enough that I wrote it down. People will not turn for spiritual guidance to those who have exited their lives, ceased to show them love, or stopped caring about them. No matter what's going on in their life or however much their decisions or choices may even grieve you, 
The fact is, if we exit ourselves from people's lives, we are also removing ourselves from any real possibility of showing them the kind of love that could lead them back or to for the first time. The Lord, amen? People will not turn for spiritual guidance. And many times, in many people's lives, they will reach a point where they will want to turn to someone for some spiritual guidance. It will happen. But they will not turn to those who've, ceased, who've exited their lives, who've ceased to show them love or stopped caring about them. And this takes us to that third thing that we heard from those folks in the survey. Cares about them as a person. Listens without judgment. Is honest about their doubts. <coughs> Pardon me. Cares about them as a person. This sounds so simple, pretty straightforward. But how hard must it be to find this, I'm wondering. For those with no faith, who encounter people who do have faith and who claim to have faith and who maybe even want to speak to them about their faith, how rare might it be for a person so far without faith to encounter a person of faith and experience the kind of patience or honesty or care that we see longed for here? I see this as good news because you and I, like we said as we opened up this morning, we may wonder, do I have something to offer someone who's spiritually seeking? I don't know, we might think. We might wonder if we do. But the fact is, we do. We really do. Because we have love. We have love. Love builds the bridge. Love paves the way. Love opens the door. Listens, think about 1 Corinthians 13 again. Let me take us back there, the love chapter, right? Think about listening without judgment. Love is patient. It does not dishonor others, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Okay? Okay? is honest about their doubts. Love does not boast and is not proud. Love cares, uh, or, or, or it's important that we care about them as a person. Love is kind, it always protects, and it's not self-seeking. So love, honest expression of actual love to actual people, go figure, it's still the key, amen? Let's consider what's called the parable of the Good Samaritan for just a moment. An expert in the religious law, another one of those, comes up to Jesus and asks, what's most important about eternal life? Jesus says, love God with everything you are. And, here it is, love your neighbor as yourself. Now this guy, he wanted to justify himself, the Bible tells us. And so he wants to know, well, really, who is my neighbor? Surely you don't mean anybody and everybody. Can we clarify this? Jesus, instead, shows him uh, what it looks like to love your neighbor by telling him a story. This is classic Jesus, right? It's going to answer with a story. And so we're paying attention to this because this is Jesus' way of answering this, of what does it look like to love my neighbor? Okay. He says, a man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's attacked by robbers. They strip him of his clothes. They beat him and they go away, leaving him half dead. This is our opening scene to Jesus' story. Verse 31 of Luke 10 says this then, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man... Oh, this is good, right? He's going to get some help. Mm -mm, no, pass by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came by, oh, a Levite, that's, he, he works in the temple too. He's a religious guy. He knows God. He's an expert. When he came to the place, he saw him and mm, passed by on the other side. Something is seriously wrong here, right? The guy's bleeding out. No one's there to help him. In fact, two religious people are ignoring him. Jesus knows how to tell a story to make his point, right? And here's our guy. Not unlike so many souls, navigating life, 
but so far doing so without God. That, that's, that's the situation for so many people. They claim no faith when they're asked in a survey. I don't have any. We don't know why they don't have any right now. Maybe they used to and now they don't. Maybe they never did. Maybe they never, never, never really heard the story. Maybe they never really saw a good example. We don't know. But no faith was the way they checked that box. Robbed of direction, stripped of peace of mind, beaten by life circumstances and challenges, gasping spiritually for something breathable. And too often what they're getting from Christians is anger, self-righteousness, or lectures, or neglect. Like the Levite or the priest. Here we see the ones representing the love of God being unloving. The very people who should be listening without judgment. That's what Jesus would do. Honest about their doubts, that's who we are if we're really straight with others. And actually caring about them as a person, that seems pretty straightforward. The people who should be doing that most are the very people who get to share the answer to life in Jesus. Verse 33, the story goes on. Then a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came near to him. And when he saw him, had compassion on him went and bound up his wounds and poured in oil and wine. He, took, he uh, put him on his own animal and brought him to a common inn and made provision for him. So this third guy, he steps in seemingly without judgment. He didn't correct or shame him. How'd you get into this mess, right? What'd you do wrong? Instead, he tangibly met his needs. He patiently provided, seemingly asking for nothing in return. In other words, he cared, and he cared undeniably. There was no getting around the fact that this guy cared about the one who had been left for dead. There's no hint, there's no just insinuation of caring. It was undeniable because the acts of service and care were right there for everyone to see, and certainly for this man to experience. Attention, compassion, patience, sacrifice. There's no substitute for these. They are what love looks like, <clears throat> pardon me, when expressed in the life of another. So we're talking about loving our neighbor and how to do it. And the fact that there's no greater way to love a neighbor than to introduce them to love himself, the Lord of our lives. So let's bring everything we've been seeing so far down to a central and practical point. Our tangible love builds the bridges over which, over which spiritual truths are carried. When Jesus was asked, what's it mean to love my neighbor? Or really, who is my neighbor? And he didn't think that was a good enough question. He painted a much larger picture. He answered, not with someone who could preach a really great three-point theologically tight sermon or what could be a Bible scholar and give everyone just all the right answers. He painted a picture of someone who made sacrificial, tangible choices to show actual love and caring to a person in need. That was his answer to the question about, hey, tell me more about this love your neighbor thing. There's a principle here that I think is perfectly applicable to this idea of sharing our faith, which is, I'm saying, the highest form of how we love our neighbor. Our tangible love builds the bridges over which spiritual truths are carried. I know I've shared this before but I am gladly doing it again. I want you to walk with me for a moment. Consider all the relationships in your life. Begin to think about your circle of influence or what you might call your span of care, right? The people God's put in your life. Some of them are, are Christians. Some of them have, have heard and have said yes to Jesus. They've heard the good news. Some haven't. Some have walked away. 
This is true for all of us. So think about the, all the relationships in your life. And then think about your individual relationships with each one and think of those as a bridge. Each relationship can be represented as a bridge the two of you have been building, across which we can carry a certain weight of truth. There's your next door neighbor, there's your coworker, but then there's people even more close to you and closer and closer and closer. Trust and love, caring and reliability build that bridge over time. The stronger and sturdier the relational bridge, the heftier the truth that can be conveyed across it. When we love others in ways they can't ignore or deny. Remember, that's one of the things that folks are looking for. Not only can you be honest about your doubts, not only can you listen without judgment, but just care. Just care about me as a person, not a project, right? When we love others in ways they can't ignore or deny, we're building a bridge between us on which we can meet and over which we may be able to carry gospel truth. Would you come to church with me? Oh, here's what makes such a difference in my life. It's my faith in Jesus. Now, will we get the opportunity in our lives to share our faith or tell our story with someone we just met? That can absolutely happen, and we can be praying for such opportunities. And I'm not saying that at all we couldn't do that, and I'm certainly not saying we shouldn't do that. Only that without special circumstances, we likely wouldn't do that if we're aiming for a fruitful outcome. Because most of the time, truth, this pact, is best conveyed across, across an invested, proven relationship. To reiterate, when such, circumstance, or when such conversations present themselves, pardon me, the weight of the truth that can be delivered will more often than not be dependent on the strength of the bridge that's been built. And that bridge is built, honestly, yes, is it, is it, is it a two-way bridge? Of course. But do we, as those who've been introduced to the very definition of love and patience and kindness and compassion, and who get to walk closer and closer each day with the very one who shows us what it's like to give our lives away for others, could we be the ones on the side of the bridge that work hard to build it with service and caring and love, to make sure the planks are strong and many, to build relationships that make people feel cared for, because guess what, they are cared for? We can be those types of bridge builders. Think of every relationship that you have and what you could do to strengthen the bridge. Why? Just because of love. Just because of love. And that, that bridge, built with love, looks like listening, looks like honest sharing, looks like serving and caring. When our sincere love is hard to deny, God's love is easier to believe. Only love that can't be denied many times ends up opening the doors that are otherwise closed. In other words, I may want to deny your God, but man, I can't deny that you care. And what I need is someone who cares. I wonder if that's what John meant when he wrote in his first letter. Let's not love with words or truth, words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Not just words, but actions. We love others and build relationships because they are precious, made in God's image, known and loved by him, and in front of us. They're in front of us, in our circle, and in our span of care. So it starts with who God is, love, and who he's making us to be, loving. And the result is a flow of love to those around us. 
See, we all have a door. We all have a door in our soul that we choose to open to God. Only love can open it in the end. Crisis or heartache certainly may knock it off its hinges. This is true. But even then, it will be love that's invited to walk through. So if we aim to be some of the most loving people in the lives of all those folks in our circle, we get to have a front row seat, perhaps. We get, maybe get to accept that invitation to walk through that door because we've paved the way with love. And when that conversation's ready to happen, when that need is there, when that hunger gets too high and someone wants to talk about God, it will be the ones who love that get to have that conversation. Jesus concluded his conversation with the religious leader by saying, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands, hands of the robbers? The expert replies, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That word mercy, kindness, or goodwill, that's what we are to go and to be and to do likewise. It's the same word he used at Matthew's table when he told the priests and the elders to show mercy. Same word, sit with people that they called sinners and listen and share a meal. It's the same word James uses when he says judgment is without mercy for those who have shown no mercy. But catch this, mercy triumphs over judgment. Love always wins the day. Love is always intended to win the day. How harshly do we sometimes walk through this world if we're honest with ourselves? How merciless can we sometimes find ourselves or how judgmental? And how heartbreaking is this when we consider our Savior at supper with the people he called friends, labeled as sinners? One more stat before I transition here. This is from 2019, so it's pretty recent, but not quite as recent as the other. 79% of unchurched people agreed with the following statement. I don't mind talking to a friend about their faith if they really value it. So that's easy. Let's value it, right? Let's really value this gift we've been given and understand just how precious it is to say yes to Jesus and to learn to live in him, this life we get to live. Amen. Well, this has always been a part of our church heritage, this idea of sharing our faith and of doing whatever it takes to reach new people, to introduce people to Jesus. This is absolutely baked into our church's DNA. We've been taking some time over the last few weeks to kind of celebrate and, and, and relish this, uh, this aspect of our story, the sacrifices that our congregation has always made to do whatever is next over our last 150 plus years. Three weeks ago, we started by looking at our founding in 1866. Then we looked at our steps uh, that started in 1909. Not last week, we looked at our move in 1966 and beyond. And so today, yep, there's more. We're going to look at our next chapter. So enjoy this video and then I'll be back. If you were to tear up the floor and peel back the drywall, you'd see that Outlook Christian Church was quite literally built upon the prayers and hearts of those who came before us. We have 143 years of history that predate the building we now call home, going all the way back to 1866 
just down the road in the village of Oaklandon. Two of our three previous buildings still stand in that community. And in 2007, our family of believers saw a dream become a reality as we broke ground on our new home. During that initial construction, the congregation covered the walls and the floors with scripture. Their hearts for the purpose of this church are expressed on the very foundation. Our doors opened here in 2009 as Outlook Christian Church, a changed name, but a steadfast identity as the same church that's continued to seek God and ensure room for more people at every milestone in its history. When we moved, we got smaller, gaining land and lots of potential, but actually losing 13,000 square feet of building in the process, at least temporarily. The last 15 years have brought much joy and much life change, and we continued to make room for more in 2016 by adding on dedicated space for kids and students. And three out of four Outlookers today arrived since the opening of our campus in 2009. The eternal impact of lives changed is immeasurable. This is the part of our story still being written. But even in a short time, this building and these people have seen a lot of change. I started at Oaklandon Christian Church many, many years ago. I would say early 90s. What I've seen from the very beginning and through today is welcoming people, being there for people. So I started at Oaklandon in December of 2001. Lisa and I got married and she attended the church. And so I uh, came to the church at, at that point. This was a great place to land in terms of, you know, being a part of a team, being a part of a culture, being part of a community. 2009, 2010, when things kind of really got going for us at Outlook, the thing that really kind of hooked me was just the friendship, the community. We were yearning for that. I want to say it was probably early 2015-ish. Um, we found Outlook and started coming regularly. You know, it was only like two or three times that we came and we were both like, yeah, I think this is it. It's a home, it's a, it's people to, to rely on, that you pour into and they pour into you. It's just, it just, it's what, it's what life's about, right? The people are just so welcoming. And that was one of the things I remember the most, you know, coming to visit was I, I never felt like a stranger. Lisa and I have been blessed beyond measure uh, by just having friends in the church. We all do life together, and through the good times and the bad times, it's always felt like I belong. You, you all are our family. Our life is just enhanced because of the connections. At Oaklandon, they reached a point where parking was an issue. I remember like struggling if you didn't get there early enough, you weren't going to get a parking spot. And we were running the Saturday night service at Memory Serves along with Sunday services. We were busting out of the seams, I guess, on the old campus. And coming out to this area, we were moving out to a bigger neighborhood, a wide open area. It was just really an exciting time to be part of 
that and something new and something um, that you got to see from the ground up. I mean, I remember, you know, when we very first started coming to Outlook, half of this building didn't exist. It was like a hallway. I mean, it was Well, that was, was that was the exterior wall. Right, where the coffee maker and all that is, that was pretty much the windows to the outside. We went through a whole fundraising event trying to just get you know the rest of this building made. Our youth were at the fire escape, so everybody was so excited to get the entire family under one roof. It's teamwork, and it took all of us to make this campus happen. I remember when walls started going up and we were in there praying in the space. If you could pull the drywall off of the stunt walls, there are notes everywhere. And the addition, we could serve and, and love on so many more yeah. young people from the youngest to our high school students. Yes. You walk around uh, our church on Sunday mornings and you see all the little kids running around and you look at them and you say, that's our future. And whether you are a parent or not within the church, I mean, we all have, you know, a duty to see to the next generation, to see to that legacy. I know it's just a building, but it opens up so many opportunities to love on our community. I see the Outlook legacy as just furthering, you know, the original ministry of Christ from 2,000 years ago in here in McCordsville. And hopefully it's another 160 years and 160 after that. And it's just exciting to be a small piece of, you know, something that, that Christ started. That's good. That's really good way to put it. We just want to be a small piece of something that really Christ has started. And he started it in the hearts of a certain group of people 150 plus years ago. And here we are just getting to participate in our chapter of this church's precious story. And that's, that's really what we're celebrating through the Legacy Campaign. Uh, it is dedicated to one thing, uh, making over and above giving commitments so that we can move our mortgage to zero. That really is the clearest wisest next step for us as a congregation. It's not to add another building just yet or anything like that. It really is simply to move our mortgage towards zero. And so it's a worthy goal and it's worthy of kind of an all hands on deck effort. Such progress, such united effort has always been a part of our church. And so the task before us all is simply to pray and then to respond as the Lord leads each of us. Us. I encourage you to take uh, the print piece that's uh, on or near the chair that you're in home with you. There's a commitment card in that print piece that I want to highlight for just a second. We're into February now. The last Sunday in February will be Commitment Sunday, where all of us as Outlookers will make our commitment to this three-year giving initiative. And that commitment should be whatever you feel led to do to help in this project. And so, uh, I just want to highlight that everything about the Legacy Campaign is online at outlookchurch.org slash legacy. If you have any questions, I want you to always feel free. You can email any of us, but this is my email address, and I'd be happy to hear from you if you have any questions about 
this campaign and all that it entails. And in fact, we're doing a couple of open Q&A sessions. One is today after a second service around 1145 in room 109. That's just off of the cafe. We'll do the same thing next week. If you can't make it today, but you can make it next week. Again, just simply open Q&A to sit down and answer anyone's questions that you might have. I've been having a great time visiting all the small groups. We're about, I'm about halfway through all 23 right now, and it's been an absolute blast to do that. Uh, so if you're in a small group and I haven't seen you, hopefully I'll be seeing you in the next week or two. Uh, and so thanks for your, so far, just what's been such enthusiastic support of what we're doing here through the Legacy Campaign. And uh, we, uh, we just want to glorify God through our generosity. Amen? It's really just who we are. Well, thanks a lot for choosing to worship together this morning. I hope you know that you're loved and that we're glad you were here. Take care and go in peace.